Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the that God wants to do the miraculous in America. He wants to do the miraculous in Texas. He wants to do the miraculous in rural communities in Texas. And a needy person in a rural community is just as needy as a needy person in the city. And I can guarantee you this, a lost person in a rural community is just as lost as a lost person in the Dallas Metroplex. And so what can we do to help rural pastors and rural churches go beyond where they are as far as, as far as their outreach is concerned in evangelism? I just mentioned a couple unusual small towns. One of the towns we actually work in, you can go to this next slide here, Toadsuck, Arkansas. I don't know if you've ever been there. Great little town. I, I don't even know if I need to say anything other than that. I am a rural guy. Go to the next slide. I grew up in a little town in north central Nebraska, um, Butte, Nebraska, population 500. I graduated from a high school class of 20, and I will tell you this, I graduated in the top 10 of my class, so just want you to know that. I've got a remarkable rural ministry heritage. My grandpa was saved and filled with the Holy Spirit back in the early 1900s. From there, he literally went after a few weeks from a dance band to a gospel band. After a couple of months of being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, he was out preaching the gospel. And that picture there is basically his gospel band back in the 1940s. If you look at the instrumentation, I tell people, it looks like he had a rock and roll band back in the 1940s. But he was not only a musician, he was also a church planter. He planted about six churches in northeast Nebraska and South Dakota. He was also a pastor. He, he, did, he had a lot of hats on his head, but he pastored beautiful gospel church for over 40 years. My Uncle Vance took one of the church plants in Jameson, South Dakota. He pastored that church for over 40 years. My dad took another one of the church plants in Ewing, Nebraska. He pastored that church for over 40 years. And I just say, if there's somebody with a stronger rural ministry heritage than myself, I haven't heard too many stories quite like that. In fact, Ewing, Nebraska, that's where my dad pastored. It's a, we're talking a metropolis, a town of 390. For 30 years, the church ran about 30 people. The last 10 years of his ministry there, the church literally in a town of 390 exploded. You'll see why after you hear this. The last five years, they averaged 180 in church. You do the math. And I tell people this, if you can grow a church in Ewing, Nebraska, you can grow a church anywhere. It's a blink town, you blink and you're by it. It's a burn over little rural town. But I'm telling you, when people get a heart for outreach, it changes the atmosphere of their community. And outreach is so very important, it's vital, and it obviously it, it's biblical. Let's go to the next slide. Our emphasis is simply this. We want to teach, train, and resource rural pastors and churches so they can be more intentional and more strategic in their outreach efforts. The bottom line is what happens inside the four walls of the church is very important. Do you agree with me? God, though, blesses us on the inside so we make a difference on the outside. And if the only thing we do is have action taking place inside the four walls, it's pretty rural, I guess, then basically all we're doing is having a hallelujah hoedown. 
I'm all for hallelujah hoedowns, but they better register outside the four walls of the church. And so that's the issue of the day, I really believe. We also deal with poverty issues in rural America, and we also do disaster relief in rural America. Over that next slide, one of my favorite TV shows is Mayberry RFD. I'm old and I'm 58, so I can say that I've watched too many of the shows. Andy and Barney and Opie and Aunt B and Thelma Lou and Helen Crump and Floyd and Gomer and Goober. You think I watched the show? But one of the things that has come to my knowledge as I've worked in rural America over these last 10 years in particular is that rural America is no longer Mayberry RFD. There's not many rural communities that have Andy and Barney's in them anymore, and the town operates like Mayberry. I'm going to give you a quick trip through the rural America that we see, and I guarantee you Texas is represented in this. First slide, just housing issues in rural America. We see pockets and not even beyond that. Every state we work in, which is about 20-some states right now, in rural America. We see homes like this was southeast Georgia. I finally told the AG pastor after going up and down the streets of seeing home after home, and this was one of the nicer ones. I finally said to the AG pastor, I said, I wouldn't let my dog live in some of these homes. And he said, well, some of the homes don't have electricity. Some of them don't have indoor plumbing. And he said, some of them still have dirt floors. I'm not talking about Honduras here. I'm talking about right here in rural America. Oftentimes, rural America is forgotten. It's underserved. And oftentimes, it's overlooked. And uh, the issues that rural America is facing is, in a lot of cases, people really don't know. The next slide, this is this going to hit fairly close to home. I don't know if you've ever been to Motley County, Texas, but the high school there, this was about three, four years ago. I've been there a couple of different times. But the high school at that time had 40 students. Of the 40 students, 20 of the students were girls. Of the 20 girls in the high school at that time, nine of them were either single moms or pregnant. Now, that doesn't sound like Mayberry RFD, does it? It is twice as likely for a rural 8th grader to be involved in drugs and alcohol than, a, than an urban 8th grader. In other words, it's twice as likely for an 8th grader here in your community to be involved in drugs and alcohol than an 8th grader in the Dallas Metroplex. Isn't that amazing? I mean, again, we've got to touch our youth in America, and in rural America in particular. Next slide. Just the poverty issues. We do a lot of work in West Virginia, in the Appalachian Mountains. Of the 250 poorest counties in America, 244 of them are in rural America. There's great need in the inner city, but like I said before, most people just don't realize the need in rural America. This family has been basically generational poverty, has been a part of their makeup. And uh, six months out of the year, they don't have running water in their house because the water level drops. They can't bring water out of their well. They literally take buckets to a nearby stream, and they fill up their bathtub so they have water throughout the day. How many are glad for a faucet? Again, we're not talking about overseas here. We're talking literally right here on our own backyard. And so that's really what our heart beats for is these rural churches, these rural communities, and then also the need. How are we going to meet the need in rural communities? Next slide. Here's two verses. You're very familiar with them. James 1.22, be what? Doers of the word. Simple as that. But a Christian has to be occupied and activity. There's got to be activity, right? So there's got to be something going in our life that we're actually a doer, that we're doing something. The second verse, I think it, I look at it as Jesus' mission statement. For the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be what? But to what? 
and give his life a ransom for, for men. Here's the idea here. If Jesus came to earth not to be served, but to serve, then it seems like to me then that should be our DNA individually in the church. That we have to be people that are willing to serve. If you want to reach people in, in your community, as a church, the river, if you want to reach com- people in your community, then this is how you do it. And this is how we talk about it in the trainings. You serve your way into the life of your community, and it opens up the door to share your way in. You don't blab first. You serve first, because why? Because that's the Jesus way, and if it's the Jesus way, it's going to work. And so any time that we can serve, I believe people may just mistake us for Jesus, and that's always a good thing. I'd much rather be mistaken for Jesus than the devil. And I like to tell you this, but there are some AG churches that the people in the church have never served outside their walls, and we deal with this a lot for over 10 years. It's just an ingrown deal. It's a bless me club. And we've got to go beyond that to where we're literally serving our way into the life of our community. So very important. That we do that. And that's what we train and teach rural pastors to be all about. Next slide. And that's really our heart. We, like I said, we were just in Denton. We did a training. We've done now five trainings in North Texas District and trained right at 100 rural pastors on helping them engage in their community to serve their way into their community because, again, we believe it'll open up the door to share their way in the community. So we're, we're really excited about the partnership we have just in Texas alone. This year alone, I, we're basically going to be coming to Texas once a month to follow up with the rural pastors to see that the momentum continues as they, as they lock into their community and, and go outside their four walls. One of the things that I see, and I felt this way because I, I was a rural pastor. I pastored for 27 years, and I, I started pastoring at 13, just want you to know. But I pastored for 27 years, and I've been with Rural Compassion 10 now. You do the math, and you can see, get, figure out how old I am. Um, but one of the things I've discovered is, I really believe this, that rural pastors are the most sacrificial official ministry personnel on the face of the earth. And I say that because a lot of these rural pastors are pastoring in towns of just a few hundred people, and i got to be honest with you, they will never have a mega church. But they are called to those communities just as much as any pastor called to the Metroplex. And so in the AG anyway, in our denomination, there are more churches in rural settings than any other, but there is very little done For the rural pastor, that's why I love what I'm doing. Because I'm a rural clod kicker from Nebraska. And I love working with rural pastors because they are worth investing in. And if you knew the storylines, and I could tell you storyline after storyline. In fact, I know you're, you're Oklahoma folks here, but I just dealt with a pastor in Oklahoma. Three kids in his home, young doing a good job in their community, and they didn't have bread and milk in their house for three days on, on welfare. But if you would know the number of AG, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm a U.S. missionary. I know pl- plenty of foreign missionaries. I don't know any foreign missionary or U.S. missionary that's on welfare. That's why I say these rural guys and gals are worth investing in. And that's really what our, what our heart is. Next slide. Here's here's kind of the theme verse that we love using when we're sharing, and that is throw out your net and see what happens. 
It's a great verse. You know, they threw out the net and caught fish, and so many, you know, the other people had to come. But I think that's the greatest act of faith when it comes to outreach. Let's individually and let's as a church, as the river, let's throw out the net this 2015 and let's just see what happens. Throwing out the net is an act of faith. Can I tell you this? The disciples never caught any fish with the nets on the beach. You leave the nets on the beach collectively and individually as a church, you're going to get dry rot. And there's nothing worse than a church with dry, spiritual dry rot. So we've got to be a church that's willing to fling the net. Next slide. One of the things we talk about in our trainings, you become the best friend to your school system. As a rural church, we believe that. We believe it's almost a deal breaker if you're not trying to invest yourself in your local school. Why? Because the school's the hub of the community. It only makes sense. What can we do to bless our school system? So part of our training, we talk about that. But a lot of these rural churches we work with have really never made a touch in their school. So they start something just as simple as taking fresh, one church in Nebraska, they took fresh cinnamon rolls to the teacher's lounge. They put a little card, New Heights Assembly, loves the teachers, loves the aides, loves the kids, we're praying for you. And the pastor, Tom, told me this. He said, you know what? He said, I took the cinnamon rolls there, and he said, I didn't really think about it. It was a God thing, but when I took the cinnamon rolls, a lot of the teachers were there, and he was fresh, really yummy cinnamon rolls. I'm going to try to keep you here, okay? But they were really, really good. He, he put them on the table, and he said, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. It was almost like a riot broke out in the teacher's lounge. There's teachers who are elbowing themselves, you know, to get to those cinnamon rolls. And I told Pastor Tom this. I said, one of these days, one of those teachers, one of those aides, they're going to have a problem, and they're going to say to themselves, I wonder if that cinnamon roll church can help me. Because people remember acts of kindness. People remember when they're served. All of us came to Jesus, I'm guessing, most of us anyway, came to Jesus because somebody served their way into their life, into our life. Not because they beat us over the head with a Holy Ghost billy club. Huh? Serving works because it's the Jesus way. It's simple as that. And that's what basically that church did in Nebraska. They just threw out the net. The net happened to be cinnamon rolls. And I can tell you this, they've engaged in the school now over the last few years, and they have people, teachers from the school coming. Why? Because they're building a relationship with the community outside the four walls. Why would you think a non-Christian would walk into this room if we don't know any non-Christians? The statistic is the longer we're Christians, the less non-Christians we know. And last time I looked in the Bible, those are the people we're supposed to reach. Hello? Now, I would just say it this way. Get the world out of us, but let's get into the world. I mean, we've got to engage in our world. Again, next slide. And the other thing we love doing is resourcing rural churches. Now that we're with Convoy, it's really opened up the door for resourcing. Before the last two years... We had a little warehouse, and, you know, we'd get supplies in, and we'd get them in the hands of rural churches, and it's always a blessing to get uh, supplies in the hands of rural churches, so we, we love doing that. But one time we got eight pallet loads of Little Debbies. Our joke was we had enough Little Debbies to make everybody Big Debbies, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> the bottom line is when we can get resource items and put them in the hands of these rural churches, they can bless people in their community. Again, when you serve your way in, it opens up the door to share your way in. Uh, next slide. Here's just a couple of things that we do. One of the things is we offer uh, school bags, to uh, backpacks to rural churches, and it helps kind of jumpstart 
some of their, uh, because a lot of these churches, they can't even pay their pastor. Their pastor's bivocational. If you can't pay your pastor, you don't probably have $10,000 in your benevolence fund for outreach. That makes sense? So we raised funding as a U.S. missionaries to put backpacks in the hands. Last year, we did 10,000 backpacks and put them in the hands of rural churches where at least 1,000 of them came to Texas. North Texas, just so, you, so you're aware of that. So we raise funding for that. Next slide. Another thing that we do is we have an or, uh, a ministry called Compassionate Souls where we raise up several thousand uh, shoes, tennis shoes, for rural churches, and they are able then to take them and, and contact a school and put together some kind of a plan where they can bless the local school and the kids in the school with shoes. And some of the storylines we have there of kids coming to school with duct tape around their shoes and cardboard because they got holes in their shoes. One little girl in about the third grade was wearing her mom's high heels because that was the only pair of shoes in her house that fit her. I mean, it's just really the storylines there are just one after another. The neat thing here is, and I'll tell this quick, where the first eight years when we'd scratch and claw and get 3,000 pair of shoes, we were dancing on the table. We were so happy that we had that many shoes. Convoy of Hope has now partnered with a national shoe company. And listen to this one. I mean, we were 3,000 pair of shoes. I mean, again, we were jumping a pew over it. Next year, that national shoe company has designated 75,000 pair of shoes for rural America. I mean, I mean it's just, it, it's, it's like the party of the Red Sea. And when we can offer 500 pair of shoes to a rural church that qualifies, sometimes some of these rural churches are putting shoes on every kid in their school. You don't think that makes an impact or a bump? You better believe it. But it is. It's outside the four walls. That's the key. You have to have good things going on inside, but you have to have something going on outside the four walls. Or are we really a church? I mean, I mean that's next slide. And the other thing that we love doing is the, the Hero Day. We've got some samples of Bibles. We encourage the rural church to connect with stakeholders or people of influence in their community. In a rural setting, oftentimes it's the firefighters and the police and emergency medical. And we raise funding for these Bibles and encourage the church to connect, do a Hero Day, and at the close of that Hero Day, after they fed them good and treated them like king and a queen, they give them a, a Bible, a le beautiful leather-bound Bible that's geared for police, one's geared for firefighters, and the other one is geared for EMS. And these have just, we've done hundreds of these. I don't know, again, thousands of shoes have come into Texas, I just mentioned, but hundreds of these Bibles Churches, rural churches in, in Texas have been doing this. One of the first Hero Days we did, there was a 21-year-old man that was uh, at the Hero Day in Oswego, Kansas, a town of about 2,000 people. And um, he hadn't really, you know, again, rural setting, he hadn't been to church really in his life. He had never really read the Bible. He didn't know God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit from a hole in the wall. I mean, he could have been living in the Amazon. Anyway, he was given one of those Bibles. He was also a military guy. And uh, a couple weeks after he got that Bible, he was deployed to Afghanistan, and he took that Bible with him. Now, the bottom line is simply this. We AG people really believe the Bible's the real deal. Huh? We'll never go wrong giving out a Bible, right? Because it speaks to our heart. It's alive, right? It's a sword. He takes that to Afghanistan. He reads the Bible for the first time, basically, at 21 years of age. And guess what? That Bible started to talk to him, but he didn't know anything what to do with it because he didn't know God, Jesus, or church, or Holy Spirit from a hole in the wall. And he thought to himself, maybe the chaplain can help me. 
And so he goes to the chaplain and simply says, what's going on here? The chaplain was an evangelical chaplain, literally led this young man to the Lord. And in the next 24 hours, this chaplain calls the pastor back in Oswego, Kansas, and says, Pastor Steve, do you know so-and-so? He said, yes, I know so-and-so, and that's why I think he was evangelical. The chaplain said, this young man has been gloriously saved. All because this little church decided, let's throw out the net and let's see what happens. Hey, nothing happens if we aren't throwing out the net. You got a great building here. Pastor Billy can preach well. Your worship is off the charts. But that does not mean anybody's going to come into these doors if we don't do something in between the Sundays. You cannot expect people to come here if we aren't working through the Sundays throwing out the net. Huh? I mean, that's just the way it is. 30 years ago, people might have just come in to hear Pastor Billy. It, oper- it just doesn't work that way anymore. There's work, but the work is serving, and it's a Jesus deal, and it works. The next week, that young man's wife, 21 years of age, she was the same way. She didn't know Jesus, God, Holy Spirit from a hole in the wall. She's walking small town. She's walking down Main Street. Pastor's wife meets her, and she tries to explain to Gwen what happened, but she didn't know church ease, so she didn't know exactly what to say, and she hem-hawed about her husband, and finally she said, I guess my husband got God. Whereupon the, the pastor's wife said this. I thought this was a classic. She said, you know, when your husband comes back home from Afghanistan, he's going to come to our church. You just will start coming now. She said, you know what? He, would, he will start coming to your church. I just will start coming. She comes the next week. She comes forward and gives her heart to the Lord. I'm telling you, it's never a bad idea to be a net flinger. Huh? Because we give God an opportunity to do something. And I believe God wants to do something. I honestly believe we miss opportunities because we aren't a net flinger. Next slide. I'll wrap things up here. I don't have my watch on, so I better look. Okay. We want to meet needs in the community, okay? And I believe this. The River AG wants to meet needs in your community, right? Absolutely. This was after Hurricane Katrina, if you can believe that. Now it's been nine years ago. It was our first operation in a disaster relief zone. And you can see, man, we were redneck. We had the old cargo van, and then we piled stuff. We did get there and back. Just wanted you to know that, okay? We've got a little better equipment now, but we had what we had, and we did what we did. Well, one of the things we realized was simply this. In a lot of these areas in rural settings where a disaster hit, for some reason, one of the common threads was that these rural communities, they run out of diapers. Well, they run out of a lot of things, but diapers was one of them. And if, if you're a parent and you've run out of diapers, that's a disaster if you have kids in diapers, right? So we took, I don't know, about four or five pallet loads of diapers just north of Biloxi, about 60 miles, to Greene County. And when the hurricane went through Greene County, even though it was 60 miles inland, it was still over 100-mile-an-hour winds. So just to give you an idea of the power of Hurricane Katrina. And so we connected with a couple AG churches. Other churches in the area also connected with us. And the people there went two by two and basically took diapers to homes where they knew that, that there were parents that needed diapers. And we heard the story over and over. It was like a broken record. When these people would knock on the door, the parents would come to the door. They had diapers in their hands. The people receiving the diapers, they would weep. They would literally weep when diapers were given to them. I say this all the time. I walk by diapers in Walmart every day almost. I never cry. 
But here's the bottom line. When we meet felt needs in our community, it softens people's hearts. We serve our way into our community. It opens up the door to share our way in the community. And if you can come up with a better plan than that, let me know. But you're going to try to have to beat Jesus' plan. You're not going to argue with me. You argue with Jesus. He came here. The Son of God didn't want to be served. And in American churches, we want to be served. Serve me, pastor. Serve me, church board. Serve me, youth pastor. I want to be served. That's not, that's not biblical. It's just flat not biblical. In a lot of American churches, we're more concerned about what we like and our style, and we're not really that concerned about what Jesus thinks. Man, that's good. I mean, I've been, I've, I've spoken in over 300 AG churches. Some churches are on fire and doing things outside, and other ones are just gazing at their navel. They're navel gazers. They just sit there. You sit long enough, you'll soak it in, but you'll also sour. There's nothing worse than a spirit-filled sourpuss. Huh? I'm sick and tired of agey people that claim to be spirit-filled and they haven't helped anybody in years and they just pick apart everything. In my opinion, they're not spirit-filled, they're cream-filled. That's another pretty good one. I'm just comparing. All right, I better, I better get off that one. I don't even know why I went there. But it wasn't that bad, was it, Pastor Billy? I went, okay, all right. All right, I close with this. Next slide. I think, yeah, I'll close with it. One more story real quick. Greenville, Missouri, a town of about 400 people. I mean, we're talking metropolis here, okay, gigantic. And the pastor, Pastor Brenda Henson, went there about seven years ago, came to one of our trainings just after she came to Greenville. The training isn't a magic pill, but it doesn't hurt, I don't think. And so part of that training, engage in your community, become the best friend of your school, assess needs, community involvement, those type of things. And she had six people. Six people in her church, and they decided they were going to wrap their arms around the local school and basically told the principal, hey, we'll clean the floors, we'll clean toilets, we'll do landscaping, we'll be reading buddies. We only got six people, but we want to do something in the school and bless the school. Now play this out some seven, eight years. If you go to Greenville on the town square, there's a building at six days out of the week called Jonas Java, and it's a youth center. And I've been there on Friday nights in particular. They'll have 80 to 100 young people at their youth center. Started with six people. And that church decided, you know what? We're just going to throw out the net. Let's see what happens. And now the, and the business people in town, people recognize when we care about our youth. The business people in town basically have purchased everything in that youth center. I mean, they got the Wii games, they got pool tables, you name it. It's top. A city youth pastor would die to have that youth center in a town of 400. I'm not kidding you. It's just unbelievable. And now when kids have good grades or, or uh, good attendance, that elementary principal, as a reward, he sends them to Jonah's job at a Faith Assembly of God's youth center. Isn't that interesting? The other thing about this little town, it's not Mayberry RFD. Because it's known as the meth capital of the boot hill, town of 400. With six people, they decided, you know what? We're going to throw out the net towards people in drug addiction. And so they started Celebrate Recovery 
and I know you guys are into Celebrate Recovery, they started that program with nobody in it and six people in their church. But they thought, hey, if we're going to throw out the net, people are going to come to Jesus, some of them are going to have drug abuse problems, and we need to have something set to help them through their issues after their spiritual life's been touched. And now listen to this. Play this out some seven years. Another thing they decided to do, they were going to wrap their arms around the local court system and around a local judge in particular. And now it is not uncommon when somebody goes before that local judge with a drug-related charge, part of the sentencing is this. He sends them to Wednesday night celebrate recovery at Faith Assembly of God. That, I mean, that's just unbelievable. And I've been to the church several times. I'm not, I'm not stretching the story one bit. You, you, that's, which is good to know, right? I'm not stretching stories. But they, <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that before. But they, they, they throw out the net, and then they just, let's just see what happens. I'm telling you, you are doing something right when the local principal is sending kids to your youth center and the local judge is sending people to your midweek service. That sounds to me like a church that has something going on on the inside, but also has got something going on on the outside. Here, here I'll just finish with this and I'll have a word of pray, prayer and turn it back to Pastor Billy. Oh, no, go back to that. I'm sorry. I, well, you, we want to be the hero in our community. That picture line there was about five years ago when we were in Greenville Bottom line, at the end of a week, we had some missions team come in, uh, Seven Project, Master's Commission. And at the end of that week, we had a, a rally. And it was 400 people, I think 350-ish, were at the rally. So about everybody in town, I had an old guy beside me I'd never saw before, and he looked at me and he goes, man, I think everybody in town's here. That's one of the cool things about little towns. Everybody shows up and there's nothing else going on, right? At the end of this service, right at 80 people came forward and gave their heart to the Lord. The bottom line is about 20% of the town came to Jesus that day. And I, I, I talked to them. Well, I speak in a lot of city churches. I'll say, hey, pastor, how big is your town? They'll say, 100,000 people. And I'll say, hey, it wouldn't be a bad Sunday to have 20,000 people come forward, right? I mean, that's the percentage. And I, I'm not given to, I don't, I'm not maybe a touchy-feely type uh, Christian as such, but the time that even the first time I went into that town, there was a weird sense. I mean, if it's meth capital, of I, there's some weird stuff going on there. But I'm telling you, you walk into that town there, it's a different atmosphere. But the bottom line is, it's because church people allow Jesus to serve through them, and Jesus can change the atmosphere of your community. And if you can tell me a better way than serve your way in and share your way in. And throw out the net, like I said, you can argue with me afterwards, but I will win. Because all I have to do is quote one scripture. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. River Church, let's serve our way into the life of our community in 2015 and until the Lord comes. It's the Jesus way, and my friends, it will work. Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to share today. And, and I just pray, God, that you are capturing the heart afresh and anew of our, our mind and our vision. And God, you want us individually to be net flingers. You want us corporately to have a plan of being a, a net flinger in our community, God. And we just believe individually and corporately 2015 is going to be the year of the net right here at the river. God, 
I just pray, God, for Pastor Billy in April, Lord. Use them like never before for the church leadership, for department heads, ministry heads, Lord. I'm just praying, God, for them like never before to be intentional and strategic in outreach efforts, oh God. And we're just believing for fruit. Because when we step out in faith and throw out the net, something will happen. And Lord, we just give you all the praise, all the thanks. In Jesus' name we do pray. We say... Amen. Amen, Pastor. We'd love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street, Burgrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us after Ritter.